0: Welcome to the Breaking Into Startups podcast, where we teach you how to get high paying jobs in tech in less than a year. Startups equal growth, and the growth role is misunderstood for most people that want to break into tech. For those of you that have not read Startups Equal Growth by Paul Graham, it is important for you to understand that being a new company or raising millions of dollars from venture capital does not make you a startup. The only essential thing that differentiates startups from all other companies is growth. And today we are going to explain how that is done by interviewing Vaibhav Segal, head of growth at a company called Reddit. VibeHop started his career as a software engineer and he explains how he went from being a software engineering intern to a product manager and how he grew into the role as a top leader at Reddit, one of the world's fastest growing startups where he is today. If you are inspired by the story and you want to get a job at a fast growing startup, make sure you download the Career Karma app today so you can join thousands of people that are doing the same. Not only will you have access to Career Karma's technology, but each of you will also get a personal coach and mentor that will help you whenever you get stuck or if you need guidance. If this podcast was helpful for you, please tell your friends. If you have not liked our page on Facebook or if you have not commented and left us feedback in the app store or the podcast store, please do that. Um, And if you want to send us an email with any feedback, feel free to email Ruben. Archer or Timur at BreakingIntoStartups.com. That's R-U-B-E-N-A-R-T-U-R and T-I-M-U-R at Um, Thanks again for joining us. And Without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end next. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister, and this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Archer, can you please tell the people what we're doing today?
1: Yeah, we're sitting here on a Sunday. It's beautiful outside. Even though it's fall, it's um, Indian summers here in San Francisco, and it's about 70 degrees outside. So hopefully we can go outside and get some fresh air. Also, this week we experienced the first earthquake and it was pretty scary, but everyone is okay. So, yeah, and we, we have a really
2: special guest. Timur, could you please introduce our guest? Yeah, so today we have um, our guest, uh, Vapehub Sagal, also known as V, who is head of growth at Reddit. As many of you know, Reddit has 500 million unique users from around the world. And our guest, V, is leading the teams in charge of growth. Before Reddit, V also worked at Zynga for eight years as a product manager, and he led teams building games like Words with Friends, Cityville, and Mafia Wars. Similar to Arthur and I, V is also an immigrant who came from India to the States to get his degree in computer science from Purdue University. On today's episode, we're going to unpack how V started as a software engineer and then became a product manager. And since a lot of our listeners are looking to become engineers, V is also gonna share what he views as top qualities of effective engineers that he works with. And before we begin, I just wanna say welcome V. Hey, uh, really happy to be here, thanks for having me. Yeah, we have a lot of, on our podcast, we have a lot of people who come from different roles, design, Mm -hmm. engineering, product, and I think this, Episode is going to be very special because you're gonna you're gonna share your unique perspective of not only how you became a product manager, but how does how do these products actually get built? And so maybe you can begin and explain to people what is growth and how does that tie in with the product management?
3: Yeah, excellent question. And I think growth is maybe one of the most misunderstood concepts around the valley and in the industry. So I think it's a really important one. I really view growth as a pretty simple philosophy. So there are two ways to grow a product. There's value creation, which is you created something new that your users get value from. And because they're getting this value, they're using the product more or they're inviting their friends or people are hearing about the product and they're coming to the product because of this new value you've created. And that's you know typically what you see core product teams do a lot. And then there's value connection. And value connection is really about there's all this existing value already in the product. How do you do a better job of connecting this value that exists to users who are looking for it? And that to me is really the best definition of growth. A really good example is a lot of our teams on, on growth, like they work on onboarding, new user onboarding specifically. So you know what we work on is how do we take the content Reddit has and organize it the best way so when you're coming into Reddit, you can easily find what you're looking for and you know, get your interests in really easily. And what we did there is that we didn't create any new value. It's not like we created new content or created a brand new way for you to uh, get the content. But really what we did was we organized it better and made it easier for you to get what you're looking for.
2: Yeah. And I think a a good analogy for our listeners, because I I know we have some people who are already in tech and they're looking to switch roles laterally. Some people are looking to break from um, everyday jobs into tech roles. And the way I would also add to to your description is, basically, imagine there's a store at a mall Mm -hmm. and your job as a store owner is to make sure that people discover your store, right? Because you can have the best app, and there's a lot of great apps. There's a lot of smart engineers who build amazing technologies. But most apps, most people just know about the top 10 apps in the world and they use it daily. And so part of the sounds like part of your role is figuring out how do you let the user discover the value of your product before they switch over to some other app that's on their phone, right? Yeah,
3: exactly. And when they come into the store, if it's like, I don't know, you sell all, all kinds of stuff, but the but the person's really looking for handbags. And if your handbags are like all the way into the back and that's your number one thing you sell, that's probably not a good thing. So how do you like streamline that entire process to make sure once the customer comes in, they also have a really good experience and can gain value from your store really easily. Yeah. Can, can you also break down kind of like the product development cycle? Yeah. Um and what
1: teams do you work on daily basis as a as someone who is in growth and product?
3: Yeah, so we have a, on growth, we have a very, really great multidisciplinary team. So we have engineers, product managers, designers. Mm -hmm. So that's most of us. And our process is pretty interesting. So one, first we come up with a strategy of Mm -hmm. how we're going to grow Reddit. And that can be, for example, right now at Reddit, it's all about how do we grow retention, mm-hmm. especially for new and casual users who don't really understand Reddit yet. Mm-hmm. And then we have certain things we know that will make make that work. For example, like if you install the app, we have a much better shot of retaining you. Mm-hmm than if you were just using Reddit on web or mobile mm-hmm. web or whatever it is. So now that we have this sort of strategy, now we come up with some goals. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, if, if growing the app is important, let's have a goal for how many installs we want every day and how many people we want to bring back to the app every day and retention rates and so on. And we set those goals, then we communicate those to the team. Now everyone knows exactly mm-hmm. what we're going for and what time frame. Now we start the ideation process. So like, okay, we're where app installs were like hundred a day today. How do we get to 400 a day by mm-hmm. September? Mm-hmm. And people come up with ideas. We put all of those ideas and anyone, I think it's really important to note that anyone can add ideas. It's yeah. not like the PM or like the leader of the team is the one just adding mm-hmm. all the ideas and like anyone and everyone from the chef downstairs who's cooking the food <laughs> to like your friend, to the designer, to whoever, has a great idea that really fits that mm-hmm. goal or a good hypothesis that we want to test, those ideas go into a backlog. Mm-hmm. At that point, we as a team figure out like how do we rank those mm-hmm. and what's more important than the other. Mm-hmm. From there, when we have a prioritized backlog or ranking of those ideas, we start picking up. The Mm -hmm. top ones and getting those into the hands of a product manager and a designer and an engineer who like figure out, okay, how exactly are we going to do this? Then the PM goes back and writes the spec to figure out like what are the details and then hands Mm -hmm. it over Mm -hmm. to the designer and the engineer to go into execution.
1: And I think it's really cool that you, you brought up the point that like, anyone on your team or ev- even anyone at Reddit can mm-hmm. contribute ideas. And for a lot of people that are listening, your background might actually perfectly suit you to work for an, an app that you might be using every day. Or um, if you're like a big fan like, of gaming or esports, then learning how to code can actually help you get a job with one of those companies because they are looking to get people who have special insights and your non-traditional background could actually be a big advantage.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I th- and I think that's like really important and mm-hmm. one of the things I look for mm-hmm. in my team members is that that they're really passionate about moving forward mm-hmm. with this product and evolving it and also like learning a lot. So I really love it when the ideas come from mm-hmm. non-traditional, you know, just like the product manager or the designer and it it comes from the engineers or or it comes from, you know, someone you spoke to at a bar who likes uses your product. Yeah. And has a pain point that you never thought of. Mm-hmm. Those are some of my favorite moments, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure.
0: like Timo mentioned a little bit earlier, you started as a software engineer, mm-hmm. focused on computer science as an intern, but you didn't know what product management was. Like yeah. how? Well, how did you decide that you wanted to get into product management when you were focused on software engineering first?
3: Yeah, I mean, honestly, in the like, I always enjoyed. I remember in high school. I was doing pair programming with a really, really sharp software engineer. I guess you couldn't really call him a software He was like a 15-year-old kid, <laughs> uh, but he was really good. And he was much better than me at writing code. Mm-hmm. And we, we had this like project and we decided to make this soccer management system. It was a game mm-hmm. where you like bought players and then you had to make decisions on who to buy. And mm-hmm. then I would assemble my team. And then you guys would assemble your team. And then, like, our teams would play against each other. And then mm-hmm. there's like randomized probability based on mm-hmm. how good the players are. And then whoever wins gets more money. And I can buy more players or mm-hmm. trade players from one another and so on. So it this like awesome game. And I realized I was having way more fun and like actually figuring out how this thing is going to work and like brainstorming with my partner on how are we going to design it and figuring out all the details than actually like coding it. Mm-hmm. Like coding, it was fun too. And especially like seeing it work on something you created is really fun. But I, ha- I was having way more fun in-, in the earlier part of the process. Mm-hmm. And so I knew from a young age that like, mm-hmm. you know, coding is something I like mm-hmm. doing and I'm pretty good at. I'm not probably the best mm-hmm. at it. But it's really like whatever this is, Mm -hmm. like figuring out the stuff in the beginning, that seems much more interesting to me. So I think I knew from a very young age that I I always wanted to um, go towards something like that. I really learned about product management when I started my career here in San Francisco working Mm -hmm. for a little startup. I was lucky to work for this really talented PM who was just really good at experimentation, at asking the right questions, at facilitating brainstorming. And I was Mm -hmm. just inspired, and I was like, "I I want to be this guy." Yeah, like Mm -hmm. you know, in a year or two, whatever, however long it takes me. So, you know, that's that's really how I learned about it. Yeah, yeah. And what was the startup called? It was called High Five. Okay. Have you guys? I know about High Five. You know, know, heard heard of them? Yeah. They were this. It's a social network. Mm -hmm. Funny story. They're actually older than Facebook. Mm -hmm. Wow. So started before Facebook. Huge in like Brazil, Mm -hmm. India, maybe Thailand. Philippines, like mm-hmm. some of those markets, yeah, it's kind of crazy that you know they were social networking. Like only MySpace, I think, was before mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And you know, you never, you never
0: heard of them. <laughs> well, there's also like Black Panic, Mi gente, OrCut, yeah. High Five. That yeah. was those days, right yeah, before yeah, exactly. Like you said, MySpace and Facebook, and things like yep. that. So a lot of people don't talk about that. It. So it's awesome that you were there in the early days to see the networking and yeah. how the games took off. I mean, if you look at your resume, it looks like it's just like this clean up into the right slope. But we all know. That there's peace and valleys. Oh, man, We've yeah. all been through peace and valleys. <laughs> of course. You know, I've been laid off three different times. Can you talk about some of your personal peaks and valleys so you can relate to people that you have yeah, been through there, that as well?
3: There's so many, man. Where do I start? Okay. I'll start with since you mentioned getting laid off, I'll start with that one. So I I became a software engineer, moved to San Francisco. Took, took actually a huge risk because I had two job offers coming out of college. One was for Deloitte, mm-hmm. which is obviously like everyone knows Deloitte, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, like <laughs> being a consultant mainly working with the Pennsylvania government. Mm-hmm. But a very stable yeah. job, right? And then my, my other offer was this startup, startup nobody's heard of except some people like in Brazil or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a software engineer, And everybody in my life was like, what are you doing? Like Mm -hmm. take the Deloitte job. I was like, no, I want to get into tech and I want to get into this world and I'm going to take this risk. So I took that risk and I was really happy about it. And I was so like energized and I loved my job and I loved everyone I worked with. And nine months later, the startup lost its funding and laid off 50% of its workforce. So I was laid off. And this is actually the third round. So all of this was happening. Like there were two rounds of layoffs and this is the first few months of my career. So, yeah. I mean, this is all kind of crazy to me. And then third round, you know, I finally got yeah. cut. The
0: first two, like, Whew.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and first was tough. like, oh, oh, it's never going to happen again. <laughs> yeah, it's <And> it's <laughs> done. I'm, I'm yeah. safe.
2: It's tough because a lot of the time, like the people in your life who do love you a lot, they want you to be safe, yeah, to yeah, be yeah. risk averse. And especially when you try something, you get outside your comfort zone and then you get laid off. I'm sure there were probably like people saying, "Well, that Deloitte job oh, uh, man. looks <laughs> tempting. It looks pretty good," and you decided to keep going and stick stick with tech. So, how did you figure it out and what you wanted to do next?
3: I mean, okay. So when this happened, like first thing, like half the company just got laid off. So we just went down to the bar and you know had a great time for the next twelve hours. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, yeah. Celebrating, you know. But then at that point, Zynga happened, kind of out of nowhere. A few days later, they contacted me and we uh, had the interview. And actually, they mid interview they asked me if I wanted to be a PM instead of an engineer. because wow. I interviewed as an engineer, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. I need a job. <laughs> Please give me a job. And then obviously, like you know, Zinga went through ups and downs. But but like. Where I was in that position to looking eight years ahead, I mean, like, no doubt things worked out. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm really, really glad they did. And we were talking about this earlier, but like getting laid off actually was the best thing to happen in my mm-hmm. career. I was so young and bright eyed and naive at that point. Like, I think if I didn't get laid off in that third round, I probably would have stayed with that mm-hmm, company. Mm-hmm for as long as it took, you know? Yeah,
0: man. And earlier, like you said, I mean, if I never was laid off from my first job, I would have never met these guys who are now my brothers and there would be no podcast, there would be no career commerce. So thank God. We wouldn't be sitting here. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So thank God we got fired.
2: (laughs) I want to also emphasize that there's a lot of people who fear getting fired or fear getting laid off. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you invest in your hard skills, Right. And you invest in your growth like you have been doing, even if your company goes under, you still have a value to offer to other companies, right? Yeah. You knew how to code and the there was a huge there is a huge demand for software engineers. And so you were able to move that into product. Yeah. And you mentioned that in your interview with the Zynga, they offered you that role. What was your like what were you how did you evaluate whether or not you're gonna give up the software engineering career that you yeah. were, were starting? And trying something completely different.
3: Yeah, I just honestly like I always knew, as I mentioned before, that I was and a good software engineer, but like I wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I could be one of the best, like product managers. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, like obviously, yeah. there was a lot of self doubt and unknown. But I felt like that's what I enjoy doing more, and I ultimately would be more successful choosing that path. Mm-hmm. So when when Zynga gave me the opportunity, I just jumped on it. And I, I knew that it was it was a path I had to take. Uh it there was still a risk I was taking, right? Mm-hmm. I I knew that I was I could do fine as a software engineer and I'd never been a product mm-hmm. manager before, so who knows how yeah. that would go. But, you know, luckily uh went with my gut and things things yeah. worked yeah. out. Can you break
1: and, down what uh the first few months as a product manager were? And like yeah. how does that compare to being a software engineer?
3: Yeah, it was it was very different, man. It's so different being a PM versus being an engineer. Like as an engineer, it's very, it's kind of binary, right? You're given a problem to solve mm-hmm. and it might take a long, it might be a really hard problem. It might take a lot of time, but you know, like what you need to do to make it work. And then when it works, you're like, okay, I did it. Like it's mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. The work is delivered. I, first time I became a PM, my job was to improve new user retention. Mm-hmm. First of all, like what is new user retention and figure that out and then it was like okay this number is 20% today you got to move it to 30% by like august wow. or you're fired <laughs> they didn't they didn't say that part but i just like yeah. i that's how i heard it in my head yeah. Yeah. and so it was like okay how do i get started yeah. what does that even mean and so it was you know taking a very ambiguous sort of high level not very well specified problem mm-hmm. That doesn't have a very clear path or clear Mm -hmm. solution. How do you like break that down, structure it in a certain way to build it into a framework and then get started? So that that would took a lot of just switching out of that engineering mindset.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I think that's super interesting because like you happen to fall into one of the greatest product management training programs in the world. Zynga has trained some of the best product managers in the world. So can you talk a little bit about? that training that you went through as well, because a lot of times you don't start off in a product management role.
3: Yeah, uh, Zynga had this thing where they love to hire consultants, which is kind of interesting, like connecting back to my Deloitte consulting story. They hired a ton of consultants from places like Boston Consulting, Mm -hmm. uh, Bain, et cetera, et cetera. McKinsey. Yeah, Yeah. McKinsey. And like these guys are really, what I was amazed at, like these guys are really good at taking these ambiguous problems and like breaking them down and structuring Mm -hmm. them. Like honestly it was just like learning from just watching them and mm-hmm. how they go about it. That was probably the best part of it. Like there mm-hmm. wasn't really any sort of hardcore like training mm-hmm. per se, but just watching from others smarter than me or more experienced than me around me mm-hmm. was the best training I got.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to also highlight that I think directionally you set yourself up on like this path of I wanna do product, but most of the stuff If not all of the stuff you've learned about product management was on the job, right? Mm -hmm. And so, a lot of the listeners that we have, a lot of people are intimidated about breaking into a sales role or into the product role. But what I think people have to realize is that a lot of the problems that you were solving at Zynga, those are not problems that you can just get someone out of college to uh, who knows the answers either, right? And so, a lot of the time, these companies are looking for people who are problem solvers. Who are not gonna just give up when they hit a roadblock, and then also people who invest in their own personal growth. Yeah. So, with you being at Zynga, what did you do to advance your career? Because I know in I think in a matter of two years, you became head of product, or you became director of uh, product at Zynga. Yeah, I
3: became director of product probably like in three years or so. Like, I I think there are multiple things. Honestly, when I look back, like Mm -hmm. I probably wasn't the best at it. Mm -hmm. Like. I think one of the things I didn't do well when I look back and when I was a lot younger, like is seek out learning from people who weren't directly in my path. So what I mean is like, if someone I see in another team, like that's doing really well, you know, spending time with them and like trying to learn from them and just seeking out, like I was just very kind of had my blinders on and I only learned from people who I was, I was directly interacting with. And I felt like I missed out on a lot. But, you know, I was good at, I think, learning from my managers. And I was very lucky to have really good managers who cared about my career. And so I got a lot of great guidance. And, you know, thanks to that, I was able to kind of move my career up. The director of product stuff was really interesting. A lot of my promotions at Zynga were like battlefield promotions, <laughs> or like people above you just Quit because of some reason or get fired or whatever. And there's just this opportunity. You're it. <laughs> yeah. they, you're couldn't like, a, they couldn't yeah. get it. They couldn't improve
1: retention to 30%. So. Yeah.
3: <laughs> exactly. I did it though. Yeah. I moved that number from 20 to 30 <laughs> and didn't get fired. But but people who didn't, you know, you, you just had the opportunity and you're like, do you want to try this? Yeah. And I think every time that happened to me, I think it happened twice to me at Zynga in like really mm-hmm. big situations. And both times, I think what I am proud of is like I was up for it. Like Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, you know what? I don't know if I can do it, Mm -hmm. but like I'm gonna give it a shot. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think it's interesting too because you know you went through so much change in a short amount of time. And a lot of people when they're trying to break into tech, and even people that have been in tech for a long period of time, maybe it was in a one role forever, they get thrown off by change. Yeah. And so if you don't have the right mindset, it's very difficult to not go crazy. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about mindset and the way you don't go crazy in the midst of chaos?
3: Yeah, I mean I think a, a lot of this comes from my background too, you know, coming from India, like India is chaos, like and you just live in this sort of like especially like growing up as a young person in India from 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 a very young age, it's like super competitive. a mm-hmm. uh, lot of things that are thrown at you. There's a lot of Stuff you just have to hurdle, do you, you have to cross, and it, you're just being challenged the entire time. So you get kind of a really tough skin to change, and just chaos and stuff happening around you. And I mm-hmm. think, I think like looking back, like yeah, it was really kind of intense growing up in that mm-hmm. environment. But actually, like prepared me really well yeah. for the future. Not saying like everyone should grow up like that, but I think for me, mm-hmm. I think it, it definitely helped. And also like coming to the U.S. as an immigrant it's really expensive to go to an American Mm -hmm. university and having to, you know, ask your parents for like $20,000 a year for tuition and then more for room and board, stuff like that. And facing adversity basically at every step Mm -hmm. sort of helped me as well because, you know, I wasn't new to these challenges. I'd face so many getting up to this point. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was just like, compared to the challenges that I had, I had been like, this was actually pretty easy. So
2: I, th- I think that that really helped. Yeah. And we have a lot of listeners on the podcast. They may not have ever built a top 100 game in the App Store, but they've led like they've led squads on the battlefield, right? We have a lot of veterans who do it. We have teachers who have led classrooms of eight-year-olds, right? Wow. And <laughs> even though you might immediately when you're breaking into tech, you may not connect the dots and um, realize that you already have a lot of the skills that these companies are looking for. Try to meet people who have been uh, through this career transition and have them show you that you do have a lot of value to offer. And I think you mentioned when you started at Zynga, you went through this kind of this promotions to to become like Mm -hmm. head of uh, or director of product. When it comes to hiring because i'm sure you've had to interview a ton of people for these roles what are the types of things that you look for in in candidates when uh, you when they're interviewing
3: yeah. For, for PMs, you mean, specifically? Uh, or anyone? Th- yeah, I think
2: PMs. And yeah. then uh, also, maybe like when you speak to engineers, because I know a lot of the time, it's not just uh, engineering managers who bring on right. an engineer. Right. Sometimes they speak to designers yeah. and PMs on the team. So what are those qualities that you look for in candidates? Yeah.
3: For PMs, I think it's, it's very similar to some of the examples we've been talking about. Like, can you take a really ambiguous problem and break it down Uh, But also, like, I really enjoy asking this one question, which has actually recently been criticized. So it'd be interesting to get your guys' thoughts. I like to ask them, like, what's a product they use every day and they really enjoy? And then what do they like about it? Why do they like it? And then the most important part of it is, like, how would you make it better? Mm -hmm. And usually I look for, like, how much did they have to think for that? How good Mm -hmm. is the answer? And how much, how long did they have to think about that? I think, like, the really, really good PMs, like, if you if they use a product every day, they've been thinking about this problem for like a long time, mm-hmm. right? They're like, I hate this thing, doesn't work well. Or like they did this one thing, it'd be like so great for their use. You're thinking like the PM for that company at all times. Yeah. And so you don't even have to think when asked that question. Yeah. You just already know the answer because you've like thought about it a hundred times before. And I think that really shows a passion for the craft, which I think is is super important. Yeah, especially because you're not getting any money to be paid. Like nobody's paying you to like think like an Uber PM because you don't work for Uber. But the fact that you did that, like I think it yeah. is is pretty special.
2: And these type of drills people can do that you don't even have to be a product manager. You can just uh, l- think about yeah. your favorite product and you can be an engineer going through the same mental push exactly. p- pushups and I think it's funny that you bring it up because this morning I was uh, on the Twitter app and a lot of our users are active on Twitter. And I was on the Explore tab and I refresh and they give me articles, uh, they give me like tweets of what people shared according to categories. But then I go up and I pull to refresh and they give me the same exact tweets that I already saw. Yeah. So in my mind, I'm like, that's kind of like a missed opportunity. Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason I was refreshing it is I wanted to see more stuff. Yeah. And now I just went to a different app and like kind of close my Twitter So you're saying if someone interviews you at
3: Twitter... And ask this question, you're like, well, the, the other answers. day, let me tell yeah. you what happened.
0: If, if Jack <laughs> is listening, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I think it's a it's a great question, especially if it's a product that's solving a problem that you personally have, so you can also relate to it. But I'm curious, because you, you asked, you said it's been under fire. This yeah, question yeah, under yeah. Fire. What is the critique? I don't I see what the issue I, is.
3: I read something about it recently on Twitter, actually, and it was like. I hate this question because you really should be asking like what's a product you don't like and like why don't you like and you still use which I think is fair. Yeah, like yeah. But then I also ask like what don't you like about it or like how would you make mm-hmm. it better? Yeah. So I think it's it's yeah. it's a fair critique.
1: Does it, yeah. if Did I anyone just, ever say Zynga and like give you s-
3: direct <laughs> feedback in that no, interview? Nobody likes Zynga products. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> No, no. A lot of the times it's like, like this last guy who I interviewed talked about a meditation app. Uh-huh. So it's like all over. When I've been asked this question, I always say Google Maps because mm-hmm. I love Google Maps Yeah, <laughs> for some reason. Interesting. <laughs> you yeah.
0: like- I think Google Maps is cool. I like Waze. I mean, like oh, okay. I think Waze is, is what my go-to. I don't use Apple Maps.
3: Yeah, used, no. I, if you use apple maps <laughs> yeah, and you're I mean, yeah, yeah. in the yeah. industry I yeah. mean, yeah,
0: exactly <laughs> exactly but yeah i'll say ways i think google maps I've, i use google maps for walking places Oh. yeah so but something that you brought out that really jumped out to me around the fact that you did grow it from 20 to 30 percent is interesting right. because like it reminded me of sales like people like you gotta own the number you gotta hit yeah. revenue but that's Usually, a result of like objectives that were set and activities that led to the business result. So, in order to grow something from twenty to thirty percent, how do you think about that systemically and trust a process that leads to that result?
3: Yeah, it's a it's very similar to the process I described early on, which is how do you first figure out like okay, what is new as retention? Who are these users? What do they care about? What are their motivations? Why are they coming to our product? What's the problem we're trying to solve for them? Like first. Establishing all that, you know, gaining some insights on what works, what doesn't. So, like, looking into the data to be like, okay, the twenty percent who do stick around, like, what do they do? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what's what is the insight about them? What mm-hmm. is the insight about the eighty percent who don't stick around? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they not do? Mm-hmm. So, if you can establish those insights, then all of that and that data can like funnel into a strategy, yeah. or at least a hypothesis of a strategy. Like, yeah. I believe for Mafia Wars, for example, that. If we had a much shorter tutorial and we jumped people into the game like much earlier, that would be impactful because I looked at the 20% and they struggled through that first time user experience and they got to that, the game finally, and then they loved it. Yeah. Right. So there's a hypothesis there and then you test that as fast as possible. Maybe you're wrong about it, in which case, like go back to the drawing board. But if you're right, then, okay, now how do you keep going? How do you keep iterating and, you know... Developing in that vein.
0: And for the people that don't know how big Mafia Wars was, that was a game that was like making seven hundred thousand dollars a day. It is speak, yeah. And and when you were when you were there, like any small change can drastically affect it positively. And yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. And I was there pretty early. Like I was there, MySpace was bigger than Facebook. Wow. <laughs> remember that? <laughs> nah, now you're dating
0: yourself. <laughs> Shout out to Tom.
3: Yeah. Let <laughs> me ask you this. So we have a lot
2: of uh, people in the community. They're learning how to code because they want to build games themselves. Uh Since you've witnessed and you've uh, led teams that build games, what advice do you have for people in terms of what skills they need to learn? Also, how should they think about building a game? Like, where do you even start? You know? Ah,
3: man, that's a great question. Yeah. I don't know if I have one or if I honestly be the best person to ask this because like, in my career, I haven't really gone from zero to one on games. I've always gone from like one to hundred. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the game is the or the concept has already been there. But I do think I have a lot of people friends in the industry who are game designers and who've been built really, really great games. And a lot of the times it's like, you know, they when they think about designing a game, they actually first think about designing this like core loop experience first. So they're like Instead of, uh, they, they start with like the user who is going to use this game for a long time. Like, how are they going to interact with this game? And what is their journey going to be like? And that's where they actually start versus a lot of people like actually start from the beginning. And they're like, well, how do beginners play this game? And how do you get started? But they usually start from, from that point. And the reason is because anyone can build like a you know, twitchy game that's like really easy to play. And, you know, you swipe here, swipe there, you have an obstacle, whatever, right? Like anyone can do that. Mm-hmm. But very few people can build games that really have deep mechanics mm-hmm. that can engage people for years and years. Mm-hmm. And that's where the value is, right? Like yeah. games like Fortnite, yeah. uh, their retention is probably really great and mm-hmm. people play it for a long time. Mm-hmm. So designing that experience first and figuring out like, okay, what is it that will get users to stick around for a year? Like, and not just... They download it and try it today and play it for a week and then just they move on. Yeah. What is in the what is the mechanic? What is like the human motivation? What are they getting out of it? Like thinking through those a lot of psychology too. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of psychology to it. Thinking through those questions and designing that first. And then actually working backwards, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I've seen as, as like a really interesting and effective process. Yeah. yeah. What uh, kind
2: of roles? Uh, like, who is uh, on the team that's building these types of games? Can you just name a yeah. few different roles?
3: Usually, it's usually it's actually a multidisciplinary team. Like, I've never seen a game being built by one person. I mean, it happens, yeah. but the most effective way is you get a group of people who are have different skills, who have different perspectives, different creative energy, and you get them into a room together. And you figure it out. You know, that's where I've really seen it work most effectively. And it's not like you just have one game designer locked in a room Mm -hmm. for... uh, So do you prototype it on paper? Like what's the typical game
1: development process?
3: Yeah. So uh, the one game I actually did work on briefly, that was a zero to one type Uh thing. Uh, We prototyped it uh, just on iOS, but with like just a very simple app. Uh-huh. Uh So it was just like the graphics were just very basic. And yeah. you would actually do exactly what I'm describing. So you wouldn't play the game as like a new user or whatever. Mm-hmm. We built the game for someone who'd been playing it for a while. Mm-hmm. So we built that experience first and only that experience. Mm-hmm. So what does that feel like? How does that work? Yeah. So we kind of built just that and kind of saw how it felt. We gave it to people who played that type of game and mm-hmm. got their feedback and sort of iterated on it. Mm-hmm. And then we are like, okay, we're on to something. And then mm-hmm. uh, went on from there. Yeah.
0: yeah. As someone that um, is super disciplined, testing a lot of things, trusting the process, what are some of the habits and routines that you have that allows you to be so consistent and high performing and growing all the time?
3: Yeah. I like to think I'm consistent. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if anyone's consistent in this industry, Man, that's tough. But I mean, I think, I think one is like, a really underrated one is like talking to users mm-hmm. a lot. I like to do that. Like every time I come across anyone who uses Reddit, like mm-hmm. I like to ask them like, okay, how, what platform do they use? How do they use it? What subreddits do they like? How do they find out about it? And you, you learn so much. Yep. I also think it's really important to facilitate brainstorms more mm-hmm. so... Like getting people into a room and really smart people, and just like, here's the problem we're trying to solve. Like, Mm -hmm. what are some different ways you're going to solve it? I think that works super well. And I think I learned probably the most with like data analysis of past features and tests. So sometimes you'll learn, you like release a test and it'll be for one purpose, but you like learn something completely different. Uh, and then that will open up like all these opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, I'm looking for deep data analysis for tests that have been run in the past, and mm-hmm. what what does that teach you? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those are some of the practices that are yeah. habits yeah. Yeah. That, that have served me well.
0: Do you have any personal habits and routines outside of work that help you as a professional?
3: Mm, I use a lot of apps that are, you know, within like Reddit's. Whatever industry or uh so like any like social network or any sort of ready like thing, like I install it and I use it and I try mm-hmm. to use it as a user would. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that like you learn a lot from doing yeah. that. Installing and, and using not just like checking out, but like using competitive products. Like for example, Discord is like something we've been looking at for a while. Like I'm not really a big hardcore gamer, mm-hmm. but like I've been trying to trying to use that more and more. Yeah. I think breeding is another one. So mm-hmm. like I don't have enough patience to read a lot of books, mm-hmm. but I try to. So I prioritize like you know business books as much as possible and yeah. try to read like five or six every year. Yeah, so I think those are those are some of the ones.
0: Solid, solid. How has your family upbringing affected your career trajectory, or if any?
3: Yeah, man, it has everything to do with it. I think you know my both my parents are in academia. And so they, uh, from a very beginning, like instill this sort of responsibility in doing well in academics, like from the start, (laughs) Uh, and that comes with a lot of pressure, as I explained before. But I think it brings a lot of discipline, and it's super important. Like I, I actually really think sometimes I hear people talk about like how grades are aren't important. I think grades are super important. Like I think it's a it's a metric of like how well you're doing. At a job you were given to do, and you know they instilled that in me from a very young age, and uh, I I followed that discipline and rigor all throughout. I think they also really encouraged me to keep an open mind, Mm. and that's helped me a lot. I think it was it was always tough, like coming in as an immigrant to the U.S., making new friends, and it's a brand new culture, meeting new kinds of people that uh, have a different upbringing than you, and to be able to keep an open mind. And really have a more curious outlook, a more learning outlook. Yeah. Versus this is right, this is wrong. Yeah. I think uh, you know they've they've really done a good job of of making sure that I have that perspective.
0: Yeah. Have you hired someone with bad grades? And if you did, <laughs> I'm how sure do you see past that signal? I'm sure I have.
3: <laughs> I don't check grades anymore. Like I assume if you if you're coming in to interview, you probably have good grades, but. I don't know i don't i don't look at that anymore so yeah. i guess yeah that's kind of hypocritical can you uh should. can you talk a little
2: bit about like how the tech landscape is changing so, since you've been here since um, like the myspace days right so at least the, the last 12 years right so yeah how are the like what are the trends like how are the technologies changing how are the app ecosystems changing what should our listeners pay attention to in terms of like setting up their careers for like a successful, like financially
3: stable um, career? Yeah. I mean, it's grown so much and evolved so much. It's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, like when, when I was getting into tech and in with a computer science degree, like I did a four year course and I built a compiler and an operating system and like eight different languages. And I just, like you just don't need that anymore mm-hmm. i feel like i mean you do if you're if you're going down a certain path but i think for the most common path you don't need that anymore like the tools are so much better there's so much code is like already written for you that it's just way easier mm-hmm. now i think to break in i think what i'm most impressed with with tech is like how it's just permeated through every industry right mm-hmm. every industry is being disrupted and when when i was coming up it was just it was just a few things that were being automated, or whatever. It's been also been interesting. One trend that has is sort of uh, happened in the last few years is the internet consumer, like B two C world, is getting harder and harder to find breakouts, new breakouts in. I think it's 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 pretty cr- crowded, saturated. And it's like hard to to break through, especially with like Facebook, Google, mm-hmm. these big guys in there. But you're seeing really amazing stuff happen in B two B. You're we seeing really, really awesome exciting things, and it used to not be sexy to work for a b two b companies like like a few years ago, and now it's like super sexy yeah uh, and they are some of the best like up and coming companies so i think I think that trend has actually been been pretty cool so to business to business, right just for yep. listeners yeah, yeah, so yeah. They know. Consumer, yeah. yeah and uh for the listeners as
2: well um. Like I don't think we talked about how big is Reddit because I think there's a lot of people who use Reddit. Yeah, there's 500 million uh, unique users uh, a month. Can you give uh, people an idea of like how many people work at Reddit? Can be just a guesstimate, but like right. just so they can feel the scale of just yeah. a single company.
3: It's a it's a few hundred people mm-hmm. working at a very large and important product. It's it's kind of crazy. Which is actually I mean Reddit's a bit of an anomaly like. For how big it is and how many users mm-hmm. it serves, we're actually pretty small. Mm-hmm. So we have to pick and choose like what we want to work on very carefully versus yeah. something on Facebook. I think Facebook is probably what, like 30,000 mm-hmm. people now, or Google is like 100,000 mm-hmm. people. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. small cities. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. But Reddit is actually kind of an anomaly and we're growing, but mm-hmm. uh, you know we're only a few hundred people. Working at a very, very large scale.
2: Yeah. 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 And I think that's also the beauty of tech because WhatsApp, I think, at the point when they got sold to Facebook for $19 billion, they had uh, 50 engineers, like 50 engineers, designers, like absolutely um, nuts. And they were helping uh, a billion people. Yeah. And so today, uh, for our listeners, It hasn't been, even though it's hyper competitive, but it's, it also hasn't been easier to start a company with your friends who know how to code or know how to be designers Yeah, because you just start, you just do what Arthur Rubin and I did and just start building an app. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: and walking people through time, like you, you were here in in 2008, right? Yeah. That's when the app store was invented on the iPhone and cost of living was what? How, what was cost of living like? (laughs)
3: I had a one bedroom or no I had a one bedroom and a three bedroom apartment and two roommates and I paid $800 a That's month. That's crazy. Yeah, in yeah. Nob Hill, nice neighborhood, yeah. yeah. And now
0: it's the most expensive city in the nation, but now we're starting to see a rise in remote work and and people mm. people used to just like figure out where they want to live in order to pursue the best opportunities. What are your thoughts about remote work? Do you see that growing? or How do you think about like working with people remotely?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's fascinating. It's kind of crazy how fast it's growing right now. We have a lot of remote employees at, at Reddit. It's interesting. I think I think there are pros and cons. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think like San Francisco has become so expensive unless you're like Facebook and Google. Like if you're a startup, it makes a lot of sense to just get developers in somewhere much cheaper. Yeah. I mean, even if it's like within the United States, it's a much cheaper city. So I think that makes a ton of sense. I think remote work is really great in terms of Work life flexibility. If you have a a schedule uh, because of family reasons, that's like atypical. Like I think it's much easier, and so I I, th- I think that stuff is has been cool. And like the tools are now way better. Like video conferencing is way better. Slack and tools like that just make it a lot easier than it was before. I do think there are some disadvantages, mm-hmm. like. I think one, it is, it is a little bit lonely sometimes. Like mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite things about working is just being in the same room with a group of really smart people and like working on a problem together mm-hmm. and like the camaraderie that comes with that and the friendship that comes with that. I think is like one of my favorite, like mm-hmm. top two things that I like about working. Yeah. And so I think, I think that's much harder. Mm-hmm. I think building trust among teams is a, is a little bit harder. But you know, I—I I mean, I think it's probably the natural progression of things. Yeah, it's—it's uh, it's probably just going to keep getting easier.
1: Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. with career karma, we actually had a all hands meeting um, this month, and uh, we had people tuning in from Philippines, Puerto Rico, that's awesome, Spain. Brazil, Spain, Ukraine, Ukraine uh, London, London. Uh, so yep. <laughs> with that's awesome, we have a fully distributed team, and we're just like. We're just trying to hire the the smartest people around the world, yeah. Who believe in our mission, and nowadays it's easier than ever. And oh yeah, you could just go on, like literally, like some of the people we've hired, they either reach out to us on Twitter, or we've might have like saw their profile on LinkedIn or a blog post on Medium, and we just reach out and ask them if they want to collaborate. You know? Yeah. And it's
3: yeah, and I think the stuff I talk about, where like. It's fun to be in the same room. Like maybe someday we'll have a VR solution (laughs) where like you can actually do that. And you can be in like six different countries, Mm -hmm. but you can have that feeling that you're in the same room, same place. Holograms. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure it will happen. Like it makes sense. I mean, it's a matter of time. Um, It totally makes
2: sense. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Sounds good. So we basically, (laughs) uh, so at each episode we do the lightning round and this is our way of um, equipping our listeners with uh, advice, strategies, and tactics. Oh, man. This as is a surprise
3: you guys would throw in. Yeah. <laughs> as
2: people are breaking into tech, and I know you've gone through this whole journey of coming to the States, breaking into tech, growing through, the, through your career. So, Archer, take it away. Yeah. Kick so, the first
1: question. This question takes it back to the basics. And I think you've had to start over a few times in your life. So, imagine if you were dropped in a new city. And you had to start over again breaking into tech and you only had a hundred dollars, what would you do and how would you spend that to break into tech?
3: Do I have a phone with so me? So
1: let's say like, like internet? let's say your most basic things needs are taken care of. So you have a place to stay and you have let's say enough enough okay. food to Instead eat. Internet but stuff, yeah. how would you spend that a hundred dollars to get your foot in the door and wow. get your first job?
3: Uh well, like I mean the first thing I would do is like research what's in the area what matches my interests. Mm -hmm. Maybe figure out like where those companies are. Mm I find a hundred dollars and like, I need to like get in touch with one of the important people, obviously in the company Mm -hmm. I've identified. So if like just applying online just doesn't work, I don't know, go to like a bar (laughs) where the employees like hang out and drink there, (laughs) wait for (laughs) someone to show up. Wearing the hoodies or whatever, and then like try to befriend them or something. Okay, uh, okay. I feel like I would I would try to do something like that.
2: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we always say, um, and R- Ruben asks this question a lot on the CEO kickoffs. But if someone gave you a million dollars and told you you'll get that a million dollars if you get this job, what would you be willing to do? Oh yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, if you do have an answer of how you would do it, then. You should be able to do it without that a million dollars if that's your true passion, right? right, right. And that completely changes the uh, landscape of just going online, submitting a resume. because And that's what most people do right. when they apply for jobs. When you can definitely get creative and take the back door instead of the front door.
0: Yeah, yeah. What advice would you give to either your siblings or children about how to break into tech? Uh, whether it's through college or not? Like, do you still believe in the future of college? Or how do you think about just planning for your yeah. career decisions in life? I
3: mean, it's pretty simple, I think. Like, learn to code, and you don't need to go to college for that. It's increasingly becoming simpler, to learn to code without having to do that. And I think I think, learning how to code, like, it used to be this, like, really difficult thing that only a certain percentage of the population could really do, and that's not true anymore. And I think so many more people have access to it. So many people have the aptitude for it and it's, you know, so much easier. So I, I think that's like really the most important skill mm-hmm. you can have. I think increasingly it's going to become like the fundamentals like everyone is expected to have mm-hmm. if, you, if you want to break into tech. And I think the good news is it's, it's just going to be way easier and yeah. only going to get easier and
1: in the future. currently you're not an engineer, but you still think it's an important skill.
3: I think it was an important skill, like I, don't, I yeah. don't code anymore, but I do like my technical skills and uh, just know-how does help me yeah. in my job every day, and that's important. but I think where engineering was important for me more than anything else was giving me the platform, mm-hmm. right that giving me that foot in the door. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to be long term, and I think somewhere deep down, I always knew that, mm-hmm. but I also knew it was the most sure shot way to get yeah. in there. Yeah. Break Um, in. Yeah. And so that's, you know, what I did ultimately, and it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think?
2: uh, So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like news about tech. For people who are outside of tech, what do you think is one misconception, or what do you think people outside of tech don't know about what it's like to be on the inside?
3: I think (laughs) it's pretty funny. But I think like when you are not in tech and you look at tech, you feel like it's this like amazing, like, kind of really high tech, sophisticated workplace where everybody, like everything's automated, like Mm -hmm. everyone knows exactly what they're doing. And then when you like actually look into startups, it's like the same dysfunction (laughs) (laughs) exists everywhere in the world, right? It's not that... I mean, obviously, and there's a spectrum of that. But I mean, I think people are always surprised by when they take a deep look in or they get their first job in tech and it's like, oh, like you know, people are f- just figuring things out here too. <laughs> like, it's yeah. not, yeah. it's not like people, like, yeah. you know, they have access to like all this crazy information that you don't. Mm-hmm. It's people who are trying to solve hard problems and they're human beings. And like, it's not so crazy sophisticated mm-hmm. at all times. That's yeah. so
0: funny you say. That. I remember when we first moved here in 2014, like I thought that like, there's going to be wifi on the bar trains, the <laughs> like, high speed rail everywhere, yeah, like, yeah, Victorian yeah. houses. And it's just like, Wait, this is San Francisco. <laughs> this screen like well, that's not, just San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, its, it's like, own no problem. Yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant. It, it actually, like yeah.
3: that analogy works in companies too. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Super yeah. interesting. Yeah, cool.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: so uh, V, so uh, what is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Twitter, email, LinkedIn? What's it? <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, I mean, actually, there's no good way to get in touch with me on Reddit. Unfortunately, we're working on that. Until then, like, yeah, LinkedIn. Twitter is interesting. Like I actually use it as a as a lurker a lot. I'm pretty obsessed with it, but mm-hmm. I don't really tweet. You're a reader. Uh, I'm I'm a reader. It's yeah. Good. I'm trying to figure out how to get into the contribution. Well, you have a good
0: voice. I mean, you dropped some
3: gems on the podcast right now. <laughs> just, just tweet that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to take inspiration from that and figure it out. But uh, yeah, uh, LinkedIn would probably be yeah. the best, but Twitter is open as well. I'm at, at Vseigle that is awesome and we'll uh we'll
2: include it in the show notes and yeah thanks a lot v thanks for giving us the breakdown and uh, we look forward to seeing your other accomplishments uh and to our listeners let's break in
0: let's break in
2: thanks for checking us out we appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.